0: got the Need the Need to Podcast. This is episode twenty five for Minority Report from 2002. I'm Joey Lewandowski and I'm Mike Manzi. And Mike, I was doing a little bit of research before I before I introduce our two guests. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out which Steven Spielberg movies because he has an illustrious career, someone we've talked about doing for Cinemakers, which is on uh, indefinite hiatus right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about doing him. He's got so many famous movies. There's not a lot of his movies that I that we've covered so far. You and know, I covered his finest film, uh, which sounds sarcastic, and I only meant that as a little bit of a joke: Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for Shia. But, but Williams, forever, love it forever. Jordan and Kara covered Jurassic Park over on Whistle Thinking. Joe, two, and I covered another one that we're going to be doing on this podcast in just a couple weeks. Yeah. War, War of, of the, the Worlds. Worlds. Because reportedly, Channing Tatum was in there. Spoiler. <laughs> not in that movie. Rumor had uh, it. <laughs> scene cut out. So we watched an entire movie that he was not in. We're going to do two for Hanks, and this is the first of two for Cruise. But considering the breadth and depth of Steven Spielberg's filmography, he oh, three for Hanks. We got Catch Me If You Can, Saving Private Ryan, and Bridge of Spies, right? So at least three. Mm -hmm. there's stuff to come but you know we're 1300 something episodes into the podcast network and we've only done two of his movies, or three of his movies. So, like, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, here we are. <laughs> here we are. And,
1: uh, <laughs> and I think it's cool because, you know, he sort of came from sci-fi, sort of, and it's kind of been forgotten because he went off and made, like, a lot of, like, good prestigious dramas and things. But he's back doing sci-fi for a while, and this is, like, part of a little streak that he'll have. So I'm glad we're here for this movie.
0: Yes. So we've got this one, and then in three episodes, uh, we're going to be doing War of the Worlds. There's two in between. There is The Last Samurai and Collateral and we'll be back with Spielberg again but we've got a couple Spielberg coming up but first before we get ahead of ourselves before we talk about these other movies to talk about Minority Report from 2002 we've got two first-time guests to the Tom Club but to return guests to podcasts that you and I have done First up, your resident horror expert, uh, he's been on Third Times a Charm a bunch. Rumor has it he might be on in December as well, if if the stars align. <laughs> he's on my he's on my Santa's wish list. <laughs> yes. Joining us first up is Dan Colon. Hello, Dan. Hey, Joey. Hey, Mike. Hey. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me back. Also with us, she was on our Atomic Blonde episode of Watch the Throne. She is the host of, I feel like, uh, Mike, you and I have, have too many <laughs> podcasts, I feel like this. <laughs> our, our next guest is right up there with us she's got her own empire over the snark squad pod oh god now that real bad is off i don't remember the name it's a disney channel original movies podcast cooler which is homework. called cooler than school cooler than homework that's <laughs> yes. a great title i love cooler that. than homework all disney channel original movies we have and I have, a, I have a follow-up question about that we have nicole sweeney hello nicole
2: hello A follow-up question
0: have you done Hounded yet.
2: No. Oh. When did Hounded deep cut. come out? There
0: Hounded. were a couple early Shia movies that Mike and I did for all his movies that are very kind mm-hmm. of obscure ish. Disney Channel original movies. So like there is the Even Stevens movie, which is kind of DCOM, kind of not really, but also like mm-hmm. Hounded. He did calling True Calling. I think was the True other
1: Calling. Oh yes,
2: True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is yeah, 2001. We are not quite there yet. We're like at the end of 99 right now. So, Ooh, so yeah, have you done
0: Xenon Girl in 21st Century? Yes,
2: my that one is my favorite. And we keep watching movies that people are saying are better movies, and I'm like, I hear you, but you're wrong, Xenon. That's, that's my all-time. That's my number one. She makes
0: my heart go boom, boom, she my super. She makes Supernova my heart girl. go
2: boom, boom.
0: <laughs> that movie and uh, Smart House are my two. Those, my two yes. DCO, those are my two DCOs. Smart House is uh, a
2: genuinely good movie, and I will also defend that. Just
0: like Minority Report, Smart House <laughs> predicted the future in terms of smart tech. Yes. Oh, they have like, similarities cross over right there. all right before we get into minority report let's get let's establish some credentials. Dan, very difficult question for you. What is your favorite Tom Cruise movie?
3: Oh God, my favorite Tom Cruise movie. Uh, I wish I was prepared to answer this question. if you had listened to any cruise clubs, you would have been but uh... <laughs> i will I will say this much. I think that the best performances we ever got from Tom Cruise in my opinion Mm -hmm. both came from 99 Magnolia and Eyes Wide Shut are hands down my favorite Tom Cruise performances and the movies are pretty damn good as well Magnolia is probably my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson so if I had to pick a favorite Tom Cruise I don't know. It would probably be one of those two, but um, it's not really answering your question, but I think those are his definitely his best performances.
1: Nice. So more into dramatic crews, not so much like action crews.
3: Yeah, I mean, I love uh, the Mission Impossible franchise and I love War of the Worlds, certainly, but I think that just in terms of the best performances we've ever gotten from him, that was the year. That was his year. And it's kind of funny, I think, that once people saw that much of Tom Cruise as a human being, I think that sort of scared him a bit. Now he just makes a career out of throwing himself off of buildings and fast mm-hmm. cars and stuff like that. Oh. So that's my theory anyway. Well, okay. that, I like that's that. Interesting. I respect that. Yeah,
1: he hasn't exactly done anything that equals those two performances since... Necessarily, I mean, not that we've seen yet, anyway. So
3: I really suspect we got a glimpse at some of the real Tom Cruise, and that was that was a little too much.
0: Now, do you remember the first movie that you saw him in? Because I don't know if I haven't answered this question. I feel like you know, Mike, we hmm. we've been asking, our, you know, mm-hmm. we've been asking guests when they come on. I don't know if I know. I don't know. I don't know what the first one I saw him. in. Maybe Top Gun, probably. But I think that's the first movie I was aware of him. Yeah. Yeah. But Dan, do you remember the first the first Tom Cruise movie that you saw?
3: I would say it was probably Top Gun, possibly The Outsiders, possibly Risky Business. Top Gun seems right to me, or or the original Mission Impossible. Okay. And Nicole, what about you? Do you have a favorite
0: uh favorite movie of Mr. Tom Cruise?
2: I'm glad that Dan is here to provide like really thoughtful what is his best performance because <laughs> i am a feelings first person always okay my answer is honestly this one for purely nostalgic reasons uh, okay. because when it the like year or so that it came out i would have been i don't know 13 14 and it was my favorite movie this i got to i got to go with this one like this, this is it this is my number one tom cruise movie
0: oh cool wow do you remember the first time that you saw him in a movie the, fir- the first tom cruise movie that you saw
2: almost certainly mission impossible the first mission impossible that is definitely the first tom cruise movie that I saw in the theaters. I probably
0: didn't see one in theaters until Rogue Nation. Uh, I mean, of the Mission Possible ones. I think I was way after the fact.
1: I know I saw Eyes Wide Shut in theaters, but I, I know I must have seen him in stuff before that. Uh, I, yeah, but it just slips my mind.
3: The more I think about it, the more I'm thinking that maybe my first Tom Cruise movie was also my f- first Tom Cruise theatrical movie might have very well been Mission Impossible 2. Okay. I was in Whoa. middle school and I went on one of those awkward middle school dates to, mm, see, nice Mission, to see Mission oh. Impossible 2. Oh.
1: Oh. oh, tune into our Forrest Gump episode on the Tom Hanks <laughs> oh, side not, of this. That's exclusive. I that, even even that, that because <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. so, <laughs>
1: they got my money a lot that summer.
3: The girl I was uh, interested in, she really loved Tom Cruise and then like, our, our parents drove us to the theater to see it. I don't think I had seen the first one at that point. I think I was just like, alright, we're going to go see Mission Impossible 2, which is such a weird, (laughs) weird choice. Widely
0: considered the worst in the franchise. I mean, Mike and I and our guest, Austin Wolf Southern all liked it, Mm -hmm. but uh, widely considered the worst. So, you know, if you're still sticking around, something worked for you.
3: I would say maybe it's the worst John Woo film. I still find it to be incredibly enjoyable.
0: I think the first one I saw in theaters, now that I'm thinking about it, is probably War of the Worlds, because my dad loved 80s TV show. And I think was there there was a movie before that yeah there was
1: a movie from like the 50s or 60s yeah he loved that too so I think we almost for sure saw that one in theaters
0: and I maybe saw this one in theaters but I doubt it I don't
1: know yeah I remember seeing (laughs) this in theaters this was a cool theatric experience I was really jazzed from the trailers because of like the jetpacks and all the future tech and stuff. So
0: So that's actually a cool little bit of trivia is that when they were writing the script so this movie was originally intended to be a sequel to Total Recall. Yes. Oh
1: can I just butt in and say there's a terrific series of books called Tales from Development Hell. You can read all about that story in the first or second one of those books but Colin Farrell was like attached all the way through. Anyway he ended up being in the actual remake of Total Recall so I think that's Mm -hmm. a funny link.
0: The guy's who wrote the original Total Recall were adapting this, and then they, they kept writing it and rewriting it and rewriting it. And it all fell apart, and that they basically threw everything out, except for maybe the scene where Tom Cruise sort of gets, they build the car around him, kind of. Mm-hmm. I think that scene was maybe in there. This movie was originally conceived as a sequel to that, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, and became something else entirely. And it's still adapted from the Philip K. Dick novel, And it's interesting to me that they feel sort of of a kind, of a type, and also wildly different from one Mm -hmm. another. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Was the original Philip K. Dick story connected to Total Recall in any way? No,
1: and it it was more of like a short story, if I remember Too, It's pretty different, like Anderton's
0: much older. um, Okay. And he's like a fat old guy.
1: It's been a while since I read that. I'm not sure if he's even the guy on the run. I'm not, you know, I think they added that to this version.
0: So when Steven Spielberg came on, the reason that my whole brain train started up here was because he hired a bunch of experts he did like 15 experts to sort of envision what the future what 2054 would be they had all these things and they basically said that a lot of this stuff has come true to some extent but jetpacks not quite a lot of this is exists in some form i mean we're still 35 years because this takes place in 2054 so we're still pretty far away from where this takes place when this takes place But a lot of this is real. Although, I I, I did notice... No AirDrop, uh, you know they're still using zip disks to like move oh, yeah. things from the, one monitor the lack to the other. Of just cell like
2: phones in general is like this is a a mm-hmm. big grievance with a lot of movies that take place in the future. If it was conceived of in the late 90s, they all dropped the ball on the fact that we are all carrying around phones and like I, like I just the lack of interconnectivity is just not there.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, and I feel like now if you're making like a crazy super future movie, just make everything as convenient as possible. I feel like mm. the sort of overarching trend in everything that people are building is just making things more convenient mm. in both good and bad ways. Things in this movie are kind of needlessly difficult for no reason other than kind of for plot, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> Some things
1: are rough. Like the car seems designed specifically for an action sequence, not for anything practical like in the uh-huh. future, really. But then you get stuff like all the screens on the streets and
0: the targeted ads. Like that, you know, we're right there
1: yeah. we're on the cusp yeah. of
0: that. Well, Nicole, let's start off here. You said this was your favorite movie when it came out. Is uh-huh. there something about this movie? If you had to pick a favorite part... Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry. timeout. I keep forgetting. F- it's a new Gotta thing. The plot summary. Got to get used to it. (laughs) We've been doing this for like 10 episodes and I'm still not good at it. Okay. Tom Cruise plays a pre cop. There are three precogs, which are these three humanoid bodies floating in milk that foresee future crimes. And so what happens is that they see a murder, only murders, though. That's like the most fundamental thing that changes a human body person like there's nothing more profound or whatever the definition is than when one human murders another human tom cruise and his men go to find wherever there's a, a murder that's about to take place and they arrest the person and so we see that in action once and then the second time we see it the precogs see tom cruise about to murder someone he does not know and so he then goes on the lamb and has to figure out who this person is why he was ostensibly being framed for this, and what's going on. Meanwhile, Tom Cruise is also, his life is kind of falling apart because his son had been captured and killed when he was 5 or 10 years ago. Uh, His marriage with his wife dissolved after that. So he's addicted to drugs now, and it feels like he's got a good career thing going, but a lot of other things are not going well. Meanwhile, we eventually find out, after he kidnaps... There's a lot of crazy so I'm going to skip over. He kidnaps a precog, <laughs> and they find out, they go to where the murder is about to take place, and this guy was set up, and there's this whole like kind of government shady conspiracy thing, because the precog program, the pre-cop program, is being piloted in Washington, D.C. They're about to pass a nationwide law that brings it everywhere. And, of course, there are glitches and flaws in the system. The shady government higher-ups are hiding those flaws, and it also turns out that they are in on murders and stuff i I don't know how to summarize the end of this movie like i'm gonna i'm gonna call for i'm gonna tag team you in can you explain the end of this movie
1: yeah so basically in order to pass the the bill and prove that this all works max von seedow who's like in charge the money man it seems like is in charge of the operation he frames Tom Cruise to prove that the system works but gets caught and outsmarted. Tom Cruise ends up proving his innocence and at the end the law does not get passed. They dissolve the precog program and the uh, psychics are allowed to like go live a life of their own, and Tom Cruise gets back together with his estranged wife, and she's pregnant at the end, so they're going to rebuild uh, their life together. Uh, that seems to be where it ends.
0: And that's kind of an overall very truncated, abbreviated version, because this is a two-and-a-half-hour movie. There's a whole thread where Colin Farrell is here to audit the system and try to figure out if this is worthy of bringing, being brought about. Um, there's a lot of trickery and double crossing. There's Neil McDonough from Justified, the big dumb baby head guy. Wait, what? Wait, the blonde <laughs> guy? <laughs> yeah, Win Duffy. So Jerry Burns <laughs> in Justified, <laughs> yeah. his character calls, he says, I'm so tired of him and his big dumb baby head. Oh. So every time I see Neil McDonough, I just think big dumb baby head. It's so mean, but it's also so perfectly funny within Justified, and I'm never going to be mm. able to forget that. Mm-hmm. So I hope you all mm-hmm. carry that with you. But there's a lot going on here. And basically, Tom Cruise is framed for a crime that he didn't commit, because that's the whole point of this thing but he doesn't know why he would commit the crime and it factors back into the the capturing and kidnapping of his son and killing of his son and that all happens like what was surprising to me and i didn't remember the twist at the end he gets to the guy who ostensibly killed and captured his son with 40 minutes to go and it's like well what How is there this much movie left? And it's like, oh, because this is not the actual end of the movie. Going back to you, Nicole, this is your favorite movie when it comes out in 2002. Mm -hmm. What about this do you love? What are your favorite parts, favorite moments, scenes, characters, lines? What do you love about Minority Report?
2: I guess I should clarify that I have not seen this movie in at least a decade and going back into it I had really low expectations I was like I was really anxious about watching it. I was like oh man I'm gonna watch this movie and I'm gonna have to think about why I was real dumb when I was 13 and like whatever so I was pleasantly surprised for the fact that it was actually good and I think at the time that it came out I went in expecting to I don't know just like a an action movie and I didn't expect to care about any of the plot threads and so I think that at that particular point in my life like I was excited that there was actually a really interesting plot tied around it it was a movie that I feel like I probably got dragged to by my older brother came out of the theater like oh this was actually really really interesting and the sort of vision that it was painting of the future was really interesting I think that was the thing that that struck me the most at the time was that like the vision that it was painting of the future seemed really really interesting to me the advertising stuff in particular that you mentioned is like that is definitely a thing that feels the most prescient about this to me because like yes like that is that is the world that we are living in. Watching it back now the thing that struck me the most is how much I appreciated the fact that our sort of real villain is like genuinely a bad dude but not of the mustache twirling sort like the fact that in the end he ends up killing himself because it all got to be too much. There was something about the construction of that villain that felt real to me and I appreciate it and I also really really love just like the red herring of Colin Farrell's character so I don't know that's, that's a very long winded answer I don't have a specific thing
0: when I realized that Colin Farrell was not evil in this movie he <laughs> was just like a good guy I was like wait what like that's not <laughs> that's a great turning point in this movie when
1: when max vansito is like you know you don't hear any sirens or any bells or whistles because mm-hmm. you know no one can tell like at right now they're all chasing anderton what you might have hit on there nicole for a minute is like what surprised me about this movie a lot was i was expecting from the trailers just sort of like a tom cruise action film but there's like depth here like this is like a technoir noir thriller like you could do this without the sci-fi and it mm-hmm. would still rock and so just all those extra cool elements and tom cruise like being really great like as a guy as a wrong man sort
0: of on the run like i really just all these elements really worked for me i have a question about how the how this how the the precogs work i guess toward the end of the movie the hive mind breaks up when he kidnaps agatha and whatever the murder like when max von Sydow kills shooting ki- shoots and kills colin farrell it's because the hive mind is not there they, you know all the cops are looking for tom cruise they're not able to predict things blah 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 like that's why he's able to fulfill that murder. In this world, when things are going normally, for instance, like Tom Cruise's ex-wife pulls up to Tim Blake Nelson, uh, Buster Scruggs himself, and she (laughs) puts a gun to the back of his head and she's like, I need you to help me. In this world, when things are going right and someone pulls a gun on you, shouldn't you know that they're not going to kill you? Mm. Whoa. Well... But well, doesn't that's
2: not necessarily that's, because hmm. you don't know the t- like the time window.
0: So the cops could mess up, or they could not find you, or whatever.
2: Yeah. It's not
1: necessarily like just pulling a gun on someone means you're gonna kill him. Like in the opening, the guy was gonna murder them with the scissors, right? So it's more of like you have to read
0: the intent to kill. It's like no, but I'm, I'm just saying, yeah, like I understand stuff. that. Like I understand yeah. how the precogs work, but I'm just saying, like if someone is menacing you, the precogs, like the cops are not showing up, the free cops are not showing up. It mm. almost says to me, and maybe it's just maybe it's you know bad police work in this case but it would seem to
3: me like oh you're not gonna kill me because if you were you'd be busted is it ever not gonna be unsettling to have a gun pointed at you even right. in this future yeah guy who works that low level in that organization i mean it's still gonna be scary to have somebody point a gun at you yeah that's true <laughs> i just
0: i just had that idea while watching this movie and i was wondering you're right Dan. like i would be worried but also if you think about it if you try to get rational for a second you might be like like there's a lower chance of of you being murdered then than it would be today. Like, if you pull a gun, like, if somebody pulls a gun at you now when there's no precogs, no precops, you have no idea what's going to come of it. Like, it's not going to be good, probably. But then, like, in theory, if this is working as it intended, they should be able to stop them. So, I
3: don't know. It's just a... It's also a world where pre-crime has been rolled out a while back, a long enough time where they can see the results, right? It's been a long time since most people have had a gun in their face. Being faced with that suddenly... I believe that people might act irrationally. You know, it's scary, and it's not something that they see all the time.
2: Yeah, having never had a gun in my face, I'm pretty confident I would freak the fuck out under (laughs) under any (laughs) circumstance. You've sold me. I don't
1: know how the wife character would know this, but we as the audience know that Looking Glass is the guy who's playing the uh, warden there or whatever. Like, we know he, he's sort of, like, doing the illegal shit, too, right? Like, early on, Tom Cruise was copying a disc and he's like, I don't know, Bob. And he's like, come on, man. Like, I could bust you for, like, a hundred things you're doing down here or whatever. So, like, maybe it's more of, like, ai am going to comply so you don't, whatever. I'm just not going to make a
0: bad situation yeah. worse. And it feels like Looking Glass, you know, the new Watchman. he's kind of <laughs> pre-cop, too, right? Right.
2: Because right. he's it's like, weird. oh,
0: no, like, I can definitely tell that he's 7th Cavalry. Like, of course. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I sense it. In his racism machine, yeah. Are you or have you ever been affiliated with the alt right group? All right, uh, Dan. What about you? What do you What do you <laughs> love? I mean, I saw you rating a letterbox. I know that you really, really dig this movie. What is your favorite part? Do you have a favorite moment or scene or character or bit? What do you love about Minority Report?
3: Yeah, so I watch this fairly frequently. Um, I watch it at least once a year around this time, November. I get real into noir November, mm. so I watch a lot of film noir and film noir inspired uh, movies. Anything from you know, like The Big Sleep to The Big Lebowski, you know, like I consider that a film noir. And presumably movies without big in the title. Correct. (laughs) I consider The uh, Minority Report a film noir very much in the same way that I consider Blade Runner a film noir. Both Philip K. Dick, both have a lot of the same sort of futuristic technology, you know, advertising everywhere. And everything feels very real, like it's not that far in the future. So I really get into the noir aspects of this movie. Uh, I think Blade Runner does it a little better in terms of the aesthetics with uh, sort of everything kind of falling apart and rain and fog. And But in terms of the, the narrative of Minority Report, I really... Th- fall in love with that, that mystery, you know, the twists and turns, the red herrings, the villain who you don't even suspect is the villain unless you're paying attention and you realize it's Max von Seidel of course he's the villain. So I, I, I love that part of it, that sort of futuristic noir element. Um, if I have a favorite scene, my favorite stuff in this movie all uh, centers around the uh, eye transplant.
0: Oh yeah, returning champion, mm. Peter Stormare. His appearance, the camera cuts to him and he's sneezing snot and phlegm like out of every hole in his body, it seems mm-hmm. like is disgusting. Yeah. Like that's gotta be one of the most disgusting appearances on screen for like any character it, I can think it, of.
1: It feels more like a, like a Roland Emmerich shot than like a Steven Spielberg moment or something just so over the top, but I love it.
3: Yeah. And I, and I find that um, just tonally the film take, has a nice shift in these moments. Storm Era is, you know, fantastic. The spiders are very Spielberg in like, I watched it and I was like, Oh, this is like shades of war of the worlds, which he would make in a few years. Yeah, so I I specifically love all of this stuff with the eye transplant. It's gross, it's funny, it's tense. That's the stuff in this that I really. Really love, but I think the whole movie itself is very, very strong. And I really only dock at some points for some stylistic choices, which I don't think have aged particularly well. So
0: to sort of piggyback off that, my favorite moment comes right around then. I think it might be like the scene or the sequence, like right before that, is when he goes to that to Iris's greenhouse and he learns basically what a Minority Report is and why things are kind of running amok. The quote that I wrote down was, "Are you saying that I've haloed innocent people?" It's like like everything that he mm-hmm. thinks he knows. He's the the embodied the champion of this system of this legal system and he thinks that what he's doing is undeniably right and just and he finds out in that moment that this might not be true and not only you know am i not guilty but also all these other people that i was so sure were about to murder someone like the guy that we see at the beginning of the movie very Mm -hmm. clearly looks like he's going to murder those people like his, his wife is cheating on him he's got the scissors we know that that's like a Pretty slam dunk guilty verdict there. But, like, a lot of what we haven't seen might not be true. And, like, to that end, by the end of the movie, they say that they release everyone. They're all basically mm-hmm. on kind of parole, essentially, and they're all being watched by the cops. There's so much potential doubt for what has happened. It's scary. And I think that his realization that this world is crumbling beneath him and no one knows it. That's like my favorite because it's just like it's the the light switch flips in that moment and I think it's great.
2: I love the fact that they introduce us to the world in that way too. That sort of opening murder that they prevent does so much setup work for this world both in terms of what we're seeing at sort of hq with all of the the tech as he's kind of sliding through the, the footage and and whatever also you know it, it's very dramatic and suspenseful and like it's you know they get there at the last possible second to stop this man from murdering his wife or whatever but it also puts you on the system's side at the very beginning because it's very clear that that man was about to murder his wife. Like there's very little doubt that Tom Cruise grabbed his arm at the sort of last possible moment before he stabbed her. It does a really good job of putting you kind of immediately into the the sense of, well, yes, this system clearly is good. It's doing the thing. I just think it's very effective as a way to begin the movie.
0: I think establishing the world and establishing the rules of the world and Mm. sort of Building on what you're saying, there's really good parts here and there's really kind of clunky parts here. And I Mm -hmm. think that what you're saying about us seeing it firsthand, I think that's great. I think them bringing Colin Farrell in and Neil McDonough explaining to him, oh, this is what he's doing. This is like watching at work, basically. Like, that's awesome. In a lot of stories like this it almost feels like we would be following the Colin Farrell character because he's the one the new one to the scene we're sort of being introduced to the world through his eyes even though we're following Tom Cruise here and it feels like that is really effective storytelling as I was writing that down I'm like oh this is so cool like you know we're filling in the gaps here and then like a little bit later there's like a PSA or like you know the vote yes to this and just like here's the system and here's this and here's it I'm Uh like that's so ham-fisted and so clunky and and, so
2: unnecessary
0: yeah it's too much exposition that buried together was establishing a good vibe, and I feel like, like I think, you need to establish the fact that they're they're about to roll it out. They had been doing such a good job of establishing the world and like everything that that should just be like and here's mm-hmm. a bunch more stuff. It it just it kind of cheapened yeah. its own story.
1: It's tough because there's a lot going on in this story. Like there's a lot in the background that they just sort of want to hint at that isn't necessarily part of Tom Cruise's thread but is important, right? Like they need to sort of drop these hints about plot points and stuff somehow just kind of reminded me of the shorthand done perfectly in with Mr. DNA right in Jurassic Park like there's a way to just sort of like have it out like real quickly and easily and stuff and yeah this movie sort of collapses a little bit under some of that you know the, there's a lot of great technical things but I start to question stuff like other technologies like the medical technologies with the eyes and things like it's a great sequence but like you know it's sort of breezed over to a degree I'd say you know it's like he never goes back to like scratching his eyes or I don't know it just there's a good balance here but it's not like a perfect balance but I think it does a really good job under like the weight that it needs to carry because without that like it would just be you know another action movie
0: and so I'm glad they're going for it at least they're certainly going for it they're they're throwing a lot of things at the wall here Mike what about you what what about this do you love like what is your favorite part of this movie if I could just sort of
1: jump on what you were saying a little bit about like when Tom Cruise sort of realizes what's going on what's really going on I too realize this time around like what a dystopian future this actually is you know like it's painted as a utopia but like deep down it's not like you know the whole concept of thought crime and that whole 1984 stuff comes to mind and like where this starts looks great and everything but you know when you see where this is going like that is the real sort of like fear that like I get from the ideas behind this movie so I just want to say like when Tom Cruise realizes like he has like that shift in his head I think I as a viewer also sort of was like I wasn't really on it I was on his side because he's on the run but now I'm on his side because like we align ideally like with our morals and stuff like that so it was a cool way to sort of show growth with the character and like get you even more like behind him so I also love that but I think like this time watching it the most fun part I had aside from the jetpacks which are awesome I really love when he takes the precog to the mall all of that stuff because it shows like the real sort of consumer side of the world and uh, you know all the people in the VR booths like we're really we're right around the corner from that opening up next to top golf like for sure like that looks so real and everything and it kind of gives me a little bit of the um ai vibe but i, I love all that when he's taking Ag- agatha through the mall and she's like grab the uh, umbrella and he she walks up to the lady and she's like don't go home he knows and like they're doing the whole sort of dodging the cops sequence and everything so i thought that was cool it showed another level of her powers you know she couldn't predict far into the future but she could sort of like predict seconds into the future which was interesting which you know seems kind of more realistic and grounded again there's so much to deal with we have psychics and jetpacks and crazy highways and cars that manufacture themselves like there's so much to sort of take in here so i thought they did a, a cool job of, of expanding something that was already sort of a little heavy or hard to grasp the concept of like as soon as you see her like doing that stuff in the mall it's like okay this is working really like what they did with that
0: i do want to say one other thing that i really like about agatha and tom cruise in this movie there's it's the same thing, but it's twice. So as she is telling he and his ex-wife about the life that his son would have had, and she says he likes to run like his father. And I was like, hell oh, yeah, his father shit. likes to run. We all know that Tom Cruise likes to run. And then when they're like at the end of that scene, she says, "I'm sorry, we're gonna to have to run again." He just says, "What?" And she just yells for like what feels like a thesis statement for Cruise Club, just run. Dude. And so <laughs> oh, we've been tracking. So much. Tom Cruise running and he does not run here. I think he's he's emotional and he's kind of thrown off here. It's it's so wonderful. It's a defining feature of him. He likes to run and he has to run.
1: And he's finally in a movie where he's on the run, you know? And even says in yeah. the in the elevator everyone runs, you know. It's like Logan's run. Like he is just on the fucking run this whole movie. <laughs> Joey, it reminds me of when we just did Primal, and, and we got Nick Cage in an actual cage in that movie. So it's sort of, a, it's
0: like in that way, the yeah. thesis of the podcast. Yes. Now to to pivot for I a second for and to talk guys. about our least favorite moments in this. Here's where I'm going to come clean and say that I did not. I like this movie. I did not love this movie. Uh, I think based on how you've all talked about, it, I think I've probably liked this the least. I think that this movie is like too crowded with ideas. I think that there's too much going on. I think they kind of muddy the waters. I think that it's kind of intentionally so, but ugly to look at like when they have a flashback to where his kid gets kidnapped and like there's such like the beautiful saturated colors of the pool and then we go back to reality and it's all like kind of blues and kind of grays and I know that that's intentional like I wasn't visually invested in this movie I wanted to love this and I think that Tom Cruise is really good in this but I just I couldn't connect with it in a way and I think a lot of that just comes to the fact that like it's a very long movie that I just feel like has too many ideas and too many things going on, and I feel like there's so many moving parts, and it almost fully, kind of, everything comes together, sort of, but, like, it just, it doesn't work for me in a way that I was really thinking that it could
1: i hear where you're coming from with that joey and i think partially for me it's like i get that with a lot of noir in general like there's Mm. always a time like even even in like you know the big Sleep or the maltese falcon where i'm like what the fuck is going on right now like i'm not sure like where i am in the story or what's what or who's who there's just like a plethora of info and i think part of that back then was like it's the detective you got to keep up with the mind of the detective thing and so i think some of that might be spilling over but i
0: totally feel it there's also the thing here that like we have sort of been we we talked about this almost every episode like we've been so spoiled by cruise club like we have been so spoiled by like how great all these movies are and i feel like i'm being a little extra hard on this one not that i want to be but because i love so many of other so many of his other movies more that i feel Mm -hmm. like by comparison this just sort of fell a little bit shy and i'm not saying this is bad like i think this is a pretty well-made movie i think there's a lot of interesting ideas i think across the board the acting is great i just think compared to what we've been talking about i think it just didn't work for me in the way that a lot of other ones Which I think is just kind of a bummer, but I guess that's a that's a good problem to have, right? Like it's an embarrassment Mm -hmm. of riches almost. But Nicole, is there something about this movie if you had to pick something that you think could work? I mean, we talked a little bit before about the kind of clunky exposition. What about this movie do you think could work better? How could they improve it? What would you like to see them do or change if you were, if you sort of had the, uh, the reins to make this even better?
2: I'm not a good person to ask a question like that because my answers are either very small or very large. So like very small, I'm like all in on getting rid of that stupid commercial scene. It's not necessary. Colin Farrell's character totally explains the larger politics, like little things like that. I'm with you on. The other things that I come away from this feeling that I would want something more out of it wouldn't even be this movie anymore Agatha I am fascinated by Agatha and like we don't really get much of anything in the way of her sort of story I would be super interested in getting a lot more of that but there's no way to do that without making a radically different movie than the one that they've made I don't no.
0: <laughs> we don't need answers to this, I don't think, because I think it's the kind of movie that, uh, you know, if it works for you, it works for you, kind of, right? So, Dan, what about you? Is there is there something about this that you think that you would fix or change or improve or remove, or how would you make Minority Report better?
3: Speaking to the Agatha point, I think that to expand her character would be nice. I would like to know more about her i think that the reason we don't get more is because it's sort of in the noir tradition to not give her much of a backstory you know historically noir uh, female characters are i mean it's the story is about the detective right or the guy at the center of this mystery while this movie isn't progressive in that way i don't think that you can really count it against the movie But I do agree that some more about her would have been nice to get.
2: To be clear, my critique isn't even about it in that way, though, certainly that, like, there is a larger statement to be made about, like, who the central characters of this movie are and and whatever. This movie couldn't have done much more with Agatha in part because Agatha is central to the mystery, right? So, like, if we know too much more about Agatha, then, like, the mystery doesn't work. So, hmm.
3: Right. So there's that too. Yeah. I don't think it as a, think of it as a detriment to the movie, only something that might have been nice to get a little more of. Yeah. I mean, my, my criticisms are going to be pretty, pretty nitpicky. Um, I don't care for the way the plants move in... Um... <laughs> iris's garden with regards like the physics in the world or just like cgi within the world both i didn't think it looked particularly good but i also don't understand how in 19 or i'm sorry in 2054 plants are now basically pets and they have these cognitive abilities they can express themselves instantly i think it's an idea that might work better on the page than in Practice.
2: It also goes back to Joey's point about there being seven too many elements in the the world building here. That like, why? Why is that there? What What is that serving? How is that adding anything? Sure.
3: Yeah. I just. I mean, it's again, it's nitpicky. I, I did not buy the animated plants in the greenhouse. That's something I would remove.
0: <laughs> in that regard, I feel like there's a a kind of a weird amount of weird stuff. Right. Like there's mm. a lot, but there could be way way more, or there should be way less. You know what I mean? Like I feel like it's yeah. kind of the There's weird stuff, but there's not enough weird stuff, or there's – or just the fact that there's weird stuff at all, like, we shouldn't be here.
2: They stop and look at every single weird thing, I think, is part of the problem. Like, either there's a lot more of it, and it's just all happening, and it's just all there – or you do less of it. You focus on the, you know, the the, the two or three weird things that we really want to be like actually looking
3: at. But aside from that, in a more general sense, I think that the uh, the, the look of this movie has not aged particularly well. I think mm-hmm. that uh, they were striving for a, a like a high contrast noir. St- like a futuristic noir style and what it ends up looking like now is just like washed out looks like it was made in the early 2000s i don't like the look
0: of this and i know that it's an intentional thing it's like the the limited color palette as we're recording this i've been watching a lot of movies recently, like, from this decade to see, like, what my favorites are. And I feel like the type of movies that I like are also colorful, generally.
3: And this one, just, even on Blu-ray, like, I was watching the Blu-ray because I own this, and I was just like, it doesn't look good. I see I see what you're saying, but I think that, like, a film like Blade Runner accomplished the same thing without sacrificing the realness of the world in which the film takes place. Like, everything mm-hmm. in Minority Report looks some level of artificial. And I think that's due to all the digital effects in post-production. I think they could have done a better job of making this world feel like the world that we live in just set Fifty years into the future, I just I think a lot of those digital effects really aged poorly, and it's not just this one. Like I said, I, I've been recently watch, revisiting some uh, some late '90s, early 2000s films, and just the editing and some of the digital post production is just awful. And I don't think this is particularly awful. I just think it could have been better if it hadn't been so.
0: It's uh, interesting. We were talking about Shia before, but like when Mike and I talked about uh, iRobot, right? Like that comes a few years after this. Like that looks like really kind of cheesy and corny at times, right? And I feel like this movie in a smart way doesn't really play up like crazy tech, you know what I mean like it, it kind of keeps things relative like it's it's sort of heightened versions of what we have now kind of right like or I, I don't know if that's right. the, the best way to describe it but it's not like wild new things like androids or whatever like it's sort of it's what we know it's cars it's guns it's it's computers it's whatever i mean the, the effects don't always look great i don't think but the actual items and objects and world that it's in that didn't take me out of it
3: oh totally i remember there was that specific uh scene when he gets home after buying drugs and he gets home and he said he, he, i forget what he says but he effectively has an amazon echo in his apartment that controls the lights it controls mm-hmm. everything and i thought oh man, they were ahead of the curve on this. I mean, not that AI that controls your home is a new idea, but it's like, oh, we have that now.
2: Again, I do have to say, Smart House did come out three years prior to this. So. Yes. <laughs> uh,
3: but I
1: want a talking cereal box is what I need. I need oh, I God.
0: Need. When, the, when the cereal box starts running its mouth, and like he threw it, I'm like, how did they not, how is a cereal box like never thrown like immediately all the time? That feels like it's the most annoying thing in the world. Yes, but that's oh, what makes probably. it
1: feel real is how it's like a broken concept, right? Like It seems like a good idea, but
3: <laughs> practically it's a
0: nightmare. And what I do love is that even with 35 years in the future, uh fox uh cops still exists so yeah. <laughs> i wrote that down is cops that even, even on, on today? today i don't, I don't know yes. i feel like if it is like live pd has completely usurped it from like our, our lexicon right so
3: cops is still on and it's so funny that you say that because i did write that down i gotta say i love that cops is still on
0: like normally like i would be kind of bothered by product placement like there's like the big aquafina billboard and there's the lexus stuff and i think what we've talked about tonight it it makes sense. Like, it's the targeted advertising and, like... Welcome to the it, gap. Yeah. It's annoying. Like, it's frustrating in terms of product placement, but it also... There's a reason it exists. That is just, like... It's so weird and dumb that I, I can't be bothered by it. I'm like, why is... Why? what Why? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Mike, what about you? What about this movie do you think that, what would you change? What would you fix? I mean, things that we've been talking about, new stuff, like, yeah. what, what bothered you about this? How, how do you think you could, uh, would improve this? Just on that point, I think part of this movie is, like, just trying to be too
1: flashy, like, showing off, like, what it can do with special effects and stuff from major to minor. Like, I don't really, mm-hmm. I know what they're trying to say, like, these holograms of his son and stuff, look how they come out in 3D and they're not perfect and stuff, but, like, I don't know, it kind of throws me as well that it's, like, it just makes it feel uh, very cluttered. Um, Mm. I don't really love the sort of nitrate dip they did on this film you know and like I know a lot of people do like the way that this movie does look. The way that they process the actual like negative you know and like Spielberg does this a couple times. He does it again with World of Worlds. Just gives it like this flatter sort of less color I think this movie just lacks a lot of like color and I get They're trying to do like a future black and white kind of thing maybe with it or something or that kind of bothers me a little bit but my main gripe I'm still not sure what the hell a minority report is. is, is, oh, is it, oh, I can, is, I can explain that. That's the, that's, okay.
0: the, that's the one thing I know about this one. Okay, because,
1: because <laughs> I was like, what a great sounding, like those two words next to each other sound amazing, right? But like I couldn't be more confused. Is it what the echo is? Is it no. like the idea that it, you have a false vision? Like I still don't know nah, mm, exactly sort of. what's going on with the minority report. So a combination of all those things combined, I'd say. But pretty much I, I really do really like this movie I like how Dan said earlier with like the eyeball scene how like the tone shifts really well on like a dime and then other times it can just go back to being totally serious it sounds a little too much like Indiana Jones at times I think the score could have benefited from maybe more like synth or something a little like weirder but uh, hmm. all, right. all, all all those little tiny things nothing I like, major. love
2: that idea as a fix that's my favorite fix that I've heard yet I love that <laughs> I agree Cosine. <laughs>
0: So minority report, there's apparently in real life, there's a real thing called a a minority report. But basically, a minority report is what happens when two precogs see one thing and the third sees something else. So that Mm. report is in the minority and that gets shuffled away because that is like, that's the red flag to the system. And so it seemed like Agatha, because she was the most advanced sort of saw the truth or saw more. Oh, because it
1: was her mom's
0: death. She saw the real death. Oh yeah, and the others didn't
1: log it. Okay.
0: And so, yeah, in that case, it was a minority report, but it was a report of an echo because what Max von Sydow did was he hired some vagrant Mm -hmm. to try to kill her, was going to get arrested, and they were going to take care of the guy's family. While that happened, they were going to actually kill her in the same spot, and then because the system would basically see it as a duplicate, it wouldn't get processed or wouldn't get flagged. And so the minority report is just – it's like basically it's all the red flags
3: that would say that the
0: pre-COG system, the pre-COP system does not work. He's trying to see
1: if only two saw instead of three.
3: Well, no. He, he's looking for his own minority report that would exonerate him from this murder that he supposedly is going to commit. OK. That's his interest in finding his minority report. He's not even – thinking about Anne Lively yet. He realizes that while he's looking for his Minority Report, which, as we know, does not exist because he does shoot Leo Crow.
2: Minority Report is like a dubiously appropriate name for the movie in the actual context of the plot of the movie. It is called that for exactly the reason you said, which is that it sounds really cool. (laughs) It
3: does sound cool. It's also a huge red herring.
0: (laughs) I think that they didn't do nearly enough with Colin Farrell's, like, near religious zealotry. Like, I think mm-hmm. that the fact that they introduce him as, like, this kind of, not God-fearing man, but, like, raised by a preacher, and then the preacher had been killed, and blah, 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 and he carries, you know, the, the rosary, and, like, he clearly has, like, this religious to him and that does not have any effect on anything that frustrates me because i think that could have been super cool like in a world dominated by tech and like they have the whole thing like are we clergy or are we the cops and then it like ends there it's there to set a seed i guess but there's no payoff unless i miss
2: something i feel like if they did more with that it would have gotten preachy maybe i am missing what you are looking for from this as a potential fix. But those elements of it, there was just enough of it there to acknowledge that that would be a thing that people were talking about. But if you go any further with it, then it gets into, that becomes the message, that becomes the point in a way that I would not have liked.
0: But I feel like that kind of thing, and this is just, I know that this is very specifically a me thing, is that I love when shows and movies play on that. The Leftovers does such a good job of like, Focusing on and centering around ideas of religion without becoming preachy. And I know that it would become a completely different movie, but I feel like if you're going to have that, I think that is interesting to me. And I know that's not necessarily the story that they want to tell, and I do fear that it could get preachy, like I'm there with you, but I think that that would be an interesting way that I think they could go. That said, I think you and I are kind of in agreement that like if you're not going to do more with it just nix it. Like, why Why is it there in the first place?
1: Yeah, I like it kind of in there as, like, an idea, but I hear you saying, Joey, like, I see the frustration. It's laid in there so well. They even called a place like the temple or something like yeah. that. And so not even just for Catholicism or whatever, but what is religion like in this future? But then on the other hand, it's not like that character's movie, so all you can really do is sort of breeze by it and, and tell the audience like oh religion like it still exists even in like this sort of like tech heavy world that you're seeing like there's still yeah like it feels like it's, it's set
0: up in the first 45 minutes or an hour and then just not return to
1: well I wonder if there's something going on in like the rest of the story that might be like some kind of religious parable that I'm you know, like not picking up on because I don't know my bible whatsoever or something but there's movies that do that you know like that aren't explicitly saying oh this is like a, a bible story but like yeah like we're watching it without not knowing it kind of situation. I don't think this is that movie, but it's something they could have done to like sprinkle in a little more of that.
2: It also seems though that like his zealotry is there as part of setting him up as a red herring of a villain. Like, like it's, you know, we're okay. meant to believe that that is part of why, that is part of how they're setting him up in opposition to Tom Cruise. But then like we have it come back around in the end when he is ultimately exonerated by the film
3: these extra things don't bother me so much because i you know i tend to watch a lot of film noir and part of that structure that noir structure There's a lot of information and you don't always know Mm -hmm. what's important to hang on to and what is. That's why it doesn't bother me so much that there's these elements that are introduced and not followed up on. Because the whole movie is designed to keep you guessing from start to finish until you find out what's going on. In that light, I think that something that might be frustrating in another movie... Works well here because we're not meant to know for sure what information is relevant, which isn't.
0: I like that. I guess in that regard, like I, I can I can buy that as the truth of this movie. But then in that regard, I just wish that they had used that different. like that had been
3: that, 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 had, that element had been more important. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean I mean it does it does lengthen a movie that is already two and a half hours long. Do I think there's some things that could have been cut? Is this one of them, maybe? That's why I accept it and I'm okay with it. One thing I do like about
0: this movie is that William Maypother shows up again, kinda looking like John Ralphio a little bit from Parks and Rec. Like he's got this crazy, <laughs> wild, like tall, almost also looking kind of like Nicolas Cage in Raising Arizona, kinda like the Woody Woodpecker, bleach blonde, really tall, sticking up hair. All tatted up, watching porn at work. Like, <laughs> and you know, the guy running the VR
1: booths at the mall would totally uh, be played by Jason Mendoza. Like, if this oh was yeah, right yeah, yeah yeah but yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> TikTok Man all yes. day long,
3: one hundred percent.
0: When they're in the pool, when it's the flashback, and Tom Cruise sees his kid get kidnapped, when he's like, oh, "There's no way that I could hold my breath for more than twenty-five seconds." Like, that sounds impossible. And I was like, "Just wait for Rogue Nation." And like the next scene, it pays off immediately like him holding his breath from the spiders, but like we know that in twelve years or whatever, thirteen years, he's going to hold his breath for something like six minutes. Like he's just like it's just crazy that he is almost precogging his own career. I'm just I'm just so impressed by his ability to like be superhuman, I guess. I don't know. He's just a he's a freak. <laughs> Any other thoughts anybody anything else that we that any of you really loved or didn't love about this movie before we ask a couple of very hard hitting questions and then play a couple quick games.
3: One thing that I thought was an interesting choice, uh, maybe my one real gripe with Colin Farrell in this movie is that he mentions that he is that he grew up in Dublin. As we know, Colin Farrell is I- uh, Irish. Yep. Why does he bother having an American accent if he could just use his Irish accent and it would make sense anyway? He was written to be an
0: American character and then they wanted to hire Colin, like because Matt Damon was considered for that role and there was also like a Dutch guy who I don't know and then Colin Farrell got the job. Steven Spielberg just kind of wanted to write that into his backstory.
3: Uh, I, I wish they had just committed to an accent. Now, this is Colin Farrell at a time in his career when I really just... Did not like him. I had issues with him as a human being, and this was around that time when he was kind of Hollywood's bad boy, doing drugs and drinking and being crazy. And I didn't, I didn't really develop a respect for him until uh, in years later, within Bruges. Yeah, his change came through in that performance, and from since then, I just, I love the hell out of him. The trivia is
0: actually kind of disappointing. It's just that Steven Spielberg didn't think that he could fully shake his accent, so he's like, yeah, he's Irish now. It's whatever. It's just, in ca- just in case you can't speak like an American, uh... you got an Irish heritage.
3: <laughs> oh, see so it's it's so distracting when when he's speaking in an American accent and his Irish comes through just a little bit.
0: Yeah, cuz apparently originally his dad was shot at a church outside of Maryland, but now he's Irish and he can't be not Irish, so, you know, he's got an Irish father or whatever. Ugh. That is really Nicole, any other thoughts? Any other things that you uh, <laughs> want to make sure that you talk about with a uh, minority report? No. Mike, <laughs> um, just that we get Keep the Cam- it simple. I love it.
1: We get the Cameron Crowe cameo in this, and we got the yes. Spielberg cameo in
0: the Cameron Crowe movie last week. So tit for tat. Paul Thomas Anderson is on a train somewhere, but apparently mm-hmm. he's so buried in the scene that even he doesn't know where he appears. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know who gets a good close-up at the I end here is uh, Frank Grillo is one of the uh, pre-crime cops. And
1: oh, yes. Clean-shaven close-up. Towards
0: Action me. star Frank Grillo. And in that same scene where Cameron Crowe is, Cameron Diaz is also on that, too. Oh, so she's really? also back from Abre los ojos, or Open Your Eyes, Vanilla Sky. That's the movie we watched. Kate Blanchett was offered the role of Agatha, the Precock, which I think would have been. I mean, she's. Mm. I mean, the the woman who plays the, the Precock here is great, but I mean, Kate Blanchett is like you know. Right. Kate Blanchett. So. Yes. Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg both, I guess, didn't get paid up front or waive their normal salary because they wanted to keep the budget under a hundred a hundred million dollars, and so instead they both decided to just they they agreed to take fifteen percent of the film's gross, which feels like. Yeah, like that feels like a way better deal. When you get the two of them kind of at the peak of their powers, yeah, this movie's going to make a lot of money. Yeah, everyone wants to go see it. Minority Report made $358 million worldwide. So wow. 15% of that is like $50 million. So I don't know if they split
3: $50 million or they each got $50 million, but <laughs> they came out okay. I'm actually surprised it made that much because it came out when I was in high school. I don't remember anybody talking about it. Then or now? So, like it made, one of those
0: movies. It made
3: 132
0: domestic and it made another 226 worldwide. Okay. Total of 358. The budget was about 100 million. So, figure you double that for marketing and distribution. It made money. Not a ton of money, but it made money. The sound of the machine scanning the retina is the iPhone plugging into charge sound. <laughs> like, not like sounds like it, but is that sound? Like, Apple used that sound, I guess? I. It's an I. Sound. Ooh. And the the movie was originally conceived to be like a hard, gritty R-rated movie, which I think could have been interesting and cool. But I guess they Hmm. wanted to to cut it down. They had to, you know, remove the violence and lower the drug addiction. And Hmm. you know, there's there's a more cynical ending where like a lot of people die, and like pre are sent to desolate islands in the middle of nowhere since that's the only place in the world where they're far enough away to have no visions of crime or murder. Therefore, in the end, the price they have to pay for their freedom in life is miserable conditions. The ending also adds an epilogue where the viewers are informed that in the year following the events of the movie, without precogs, there were over 130 murders in the city. It's just like, oh boy, like that is, uh, that's a dep- that's a downer of an ending.
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound like it would test well.
0: There is apparently a theory. After Tom Cruise gets haloed, nothing actually happens. No.
1: Like these are all like his like hyper real dreams. In the, no, I hate this may, as, this may as well just be the sequel to Vanilla Sky then. And that like this whole, you know, because Cameron Crowe and, and Cameron Diaz show up, like this is just a lucid dream. Ah, uh, no, forget that. That can't be true. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice way to waste an afternoon writing an article for a blog and everything. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's,
2: that's basically it. If Tom
0: Hanks was cast in the role that Tom Cruise plays here, <laughs> Does this movie work? Because as you know, we have the Tom Hanks podcast we have the Tom Cruise podcast. Do you think Tom Hanks works in this Tom Cruise part?
2: Uh, it definitely doesn't, but I really like the or Tom Hanks now that he's America's dad. America's dad in this role. It doesn't work, but I love the thought exercise.
0: Now, as a follow-up to that, if you don't think it works, is there another character, another role that you think he could play in this movie?
1: I think today... He'd be great in the Max von Sydow role, you know, because he'd he'd be impossible not to trust that, you know, like uh, just bringing in what you know about Hanks and stuff. That would be like a real twist, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But back then, I don't, I don't think, you know, I'm gonna have to also, I'm gonna have to say no because I feel like if Hanks was this character, he'd either just get caught in two minutes or turn himself in right away and try and like figure this out logically and like not run or for some for some reason. (laughs) I feel like it'd be that whole
0: different movie where it would just be like. They'd be in the interrogation room for two days. I wouldn't hate it. Dan, what about you? Do you think that Tom Hanks would play this Tom Cruise role or no?
3: I don't think he would be the first, second, third, or even the hundredth choice for this role. But if your question is, do I think he could do it? I think Tom Hanks could do anything if given the right circumstances. Could he do it for Spielberg? I don't know. But could he play John Anderton in some capacity? Sure. I think he could. But again, I don't think he would be anywhere near the top choices.
0: There's normally on IMDb, there's a lot of trivia about like, this person was, or this character is almost this person. This character is almost that person. Like aside from the Key Blanchett thing and the Matt Damon thing, there's not a lot here. Like it feels like whatever version Steven Spielberg sort of spearheaded here. It was always going to be Tom Cruise, which I feel like by this Mm -hmm. point, like, you're not going to, like, you're not going to think about, like, do I want to cast Tom Cruise or not? It's more like, will Tom Cruise say yes to my movie?
3: Right.
0: So I guess we're not going to really have those kind of things, but... uh... Yeah, I, don't know that, I don't know that Tom Hanks works in this part.
3: I think it would be a very different movie. I don't think it would be much of an action movie. Hmm. But I, th- I think Tom Hanks is, is, a, is an actor who gets almost typecast a lot. Just to entertain the idea of him playing John Anerton, I think that would be a great way to stretch his range as an actor. Hmm. So I would embrace it. If only just for the fun of seeing Tom Hanks play something that is wildly inappropriate for him. Yeah. Because I do think he's a great actor, and I think a great actor can play just about anything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'll I'll go on that ride. I know the answer to
0: this first question, does Tom Cruise run in this movie? Yes, absolutely not. Does
3: he
1: not run in this movie? But a more important
0: question, we found uh, someone on Twitter called Harperfect. And he said that you can replace Tom Cruise's character name in any movie with the name Lightning McQueen, and not a thing would change. Do you think if Tom Cruise played Sheriff Precop Lightning McQueen, uh, this movie would be the same thing? Yes or no? Yes. Nicole, Ooh. I like you. I, I knew that I liked you, but I like <laughs> you even more. Like, you. it's just like you know in your heart that the answer to this question every every episode is yes. Uh, but it just I feels yes. like
1: it feels like appropriately futuristic for the time as well like there'd be a phase where right. people were naming themselves like lightning and thunder and
2: Again to bring uh, it back to like my home turf Xenon uh mm-hmm. <laughs> yes I agree
3: <laughs>
0: Yeah. Dan, do you do you agree or you want to be the lone voice of dissent here?
3: Uh I might have to be. If only because <laughs> if, if if only because a cop named Lightning McQueen sounds too much like an FBI agent named Johnny Utah. It's just the wrong movie. Wrong cop movie for a, a, a name like Lightning McQueen. you have a problem with Johnny Utah? No, 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 no. I think that name works for that movie okay. in a way that Lightning McQueen does not mm. work for Minority okay. Report. If Keanu was playing FBI agent Lightning McQueen, I'd buy that, you know, in Point Break, but I just don't buy that sort of a name <laughs> in, in Minority Report. What if Tom Cruise said, I am a pre-cop cop.
0: doesn't quite work but uh, it's close it's not bad time to nominate this for some awards the best and the worst of what Cruise Club has to offer best film worst film do you think knowing Tom Cruise's filmography the very stacked filmography that it is does Minority Report belong among his best films of his career yes or no I
3: say say yes
0: I'm in the yes
1: camp there's really nothing else white like it you know like I don't know he doesn't really go back here again. I mean, maybe something like Edge of Tomorrow is where he goes, like, full... I mean, More of the World, yes, okay, but, like, Edge of Tomorrow is, like, full-on something, like, sci-fi i never seen before, and I feel like this is along the same lines for the time, where it's, like, future noir kind of stuff, and there weren't, like, a lot of cool movies. Like, the you know, Dan mentioned Blade Runner, and we got the new Blade Runner, and, like... What else do we have? Johnny Mnemonic. That, like, well, I mean, like know, Dark City had come out. Dark City, okay, yeah. The Matrix had come of, out. Is this? It's not like it's his Matrix or anything, but I don't know. I, I really he look does this. look like
0: Neo at one point after he gets the eye surgery. He looks like Neo at the end of Revolutions. <laughs> That's right, he has the uh, bandages on. I will put it on the list for now. This is almost certainly going to get cut at some point. Um, I, I also know. just watched Edge of Tomorrow as I'm watching my, my favorite movies of the decade. And who uh, boy, can't wait to talk about that one. I love oh, that movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I will put Steven Spielberg on Best Director Filmmaker because he's got the two. So we'll have that now. A more difficult question: Do you think
3: this is one of Tom Cruise's best roles? I don't think it's a role that only Tom Cruise could play. Mm. Yeah, like, he's kind of he's yeah. kind of John Q. Detective, and it's I find everything else in the movie is by definition more interesting, and I think that's by design. You know, detectives at the center of stories like this are are meant to be uh, relatable. You have to be able to uh, connect with him. I think any sort of action star could have played John Anerton, but okay. Cruise's. Just as good as anybody else.
1: Dan mentioned earlier, you know, like Magnolia, right? Like that is sort of the bar for me right now and I feel like he didn't really go far enough with his like addiction and his depression and like all that kind I feel like in a way that is also mm, emotionally glossed over a little bit when he goes on the run and he's just like scared for a lot of the movie just Mm -hmm. in general even though he does a great job here I could see someone else like stepping into these shoes
2: that is a really good point that I completely forgot about like he is a drug addict who is on the run and presumably doesn't have access to his drugs while he's on the run like uh, is that not a problem for him in any
0: way I guess not yeah, I think the last time he uses <laughs> is, is the last time that he uses the drugs in this movie when he's right after he's had the eye surgery he like li- he lies down and feels around and he finds the vial or whatever and takes like a hit like I think that's the mm-hmm. last time like the last mm-hmm. like hour 20 he's just clean look he can quit whenever he wants to guys <laughs>
3: <laughs> he's not he's not an addict he could stop whenever now
0: this is not We we've all agreed that this is not necessarily his best role do you think this counts for one of his most badass roles yes or no
3: being a pre-cop is like
1: pretty you gotta be pretty badass it's like a mix between like a firefighter and a regular cop right because like you're rappelling down from a hella you have to be like an army dude or something it feels like you have to have some serious kick-ass training you know this has only been around for six years i feel like two and a half of those years was just like training the cops
3: oh man even by film noir standards he doesn't get his ass beat nearly as much as, like, Ethan Hunt does. Yeah,
1: he never gets shot, which I was surprised he didn't get yeah, shot. Yeah,
3: he, he doesn't take a whole lot of abuse in this movie. He's mostly running away. I oh, it's gonna be tough to beat Ethan Hunt for, for like, most badass character. I, I would rank this pretty low.
0: Best fight? Jetpack fight? I mean... That's pretty cool. <laughs> Best theme song, soundtrack, score. We're gonna say no because you said it's just it's basically Indiana Jones, right? So not give a credit there. Best car chase race. It it's not nah. really a it's a car scene. Like it's not really a car chase when he's like climbing. His now car. that I think about it, I I kind of hate it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's
1: something just like so stupid okay. about how he like is crushed by the seat, then like comes up and drives away a fully formed car around him. Like I don't know. Like you said, like maybe this was the one thing left over from the Arnold version of Total Recall 2. Like that's more in line with what it. I feel it feels like another one of those Roland Emmerich moments of like the late '90s schlockitude.
3: That's a separate car. The scene I'm thinking of is when he's in the car, in a different car, and he gets like they find him, and then they're gonna like escort him back to headquarters. Mm-hmm. So he escapes.
2: He's like out of the car for most of that scene, though.
3: Did anyone catch the Jurassic Park esque? continuity error in that scene
2: no No.
3: so when he's in that car and it goes down like when the road kind of has that 90 degree tilt down yeah uh-huh. he kicks off the window that is on now on the top it's facing uh-huh. the sky he climbs out and then suddenly it's completely smooth. Oh like that yeah, I did still there. I did notice that and I was like, huh. <laughs> that window that he just kicked out magically reappears. Yeah, so I, he, I was
0: wondering if it. like <laughs> if if it was like the window underneath, but no, it just uh no.
1: Because he
3: needs something to jump off of.
1: You're supposed to be too distracted by the crazy magnet car mm-hmm. hot wheels loop that's going on.
3: Yeah, it's it, it's like that, that error in Jurassic Park with the the, over the wall when they push the car over and then they climb down also like that. in
0: that same scene when he climbs on the one car where he jumps at the car there's the two people in there they look up they're like ah and then he's like yeah, that's fine and he keeps walking he like leaves a very clear dirty muddy black inky boot print but like he's not leaving boot prints elsewhere i don't know no what... that's you know what that is that's a digital boot print to
1: try and sell the realism of the effect better but it just comes off as sort of odd he left a <sighs> smudge on the window why would it be so strong no that you know i think this is just an animator getting kind of carried away and spielberg going oh that's interesting like yeah let's go
0: <laughs> one thing this movie did not have that it would have been better just because it would have been better in every movie, uh no there's no best dance scene i don't think he doesn't dance in this movie right so
2: that's all, another one of the fixes really that we should add to this movie yeah
0: a musical number in the middle, uh, just yes. a tap dance. <laughs> well it would have been cool. Maybe, you know, they have
1: those holograms. He could've danced with his wife in like one of the uh memory holograms or whatever in his mm. living room. Mm.
2: Or like uh, the precogs when we show them in their sort of epilogue scene, you know, just have them dancing around their couch. Synchronized
0: swimming in the milky pool.
2: Ooh, nice. <laughs> oh,
1: yes. wait. So they get flushed, right? Like in that precog pool, like uh-huh. he goes sort of down the drain. Was it that same year in like Men in Black 2 they pulled that same move where like they had to flush down like the giant neuralizer and like J and K like go down the tubes. I don't know. I was getting a heavy Men in Black
0: vibe. It's the same year. I don't remember that. I
1: don't, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, and then and then they come up like in the middle of Times Square and Will Smith's like
3: woo used to like to get flushed or something you have spent way more time watching Men in
0: Black 2 than I have (laughs) best crew's outfit wardrobe I'm going to say no I think it's kind of unremarkable Kind of, I think probably on purpose. Best sunglasses. I don't think he wears sunglasses, does he? No. No, but I
1: thought it was funny how there's that big sunglass ad in his mm-hmm. prevision, right? It's like a big clue. It's like the the billboard outside. They mm. thought it was like a yes, man in sunglasses. The man outside.
0: Mm-hmm. Best death. He does not die. Best line. Best freakout. I don't think there's anything like he's kind of he's kind of even keeled for most of this movie. I think it's tough because even the big
1: lines, like everyone runs, like he says it two or three times. It feels like the catchphrase, but it doesn't have the impact of like a best line. well, necessarily even though what I said before
0: about like haloing innocent innocent people like I don't think that that's necessarily like I think it's great within the scope of the movie but like as a line for any movie it's kind of like no, okay. it,
1: it's not concerned with, like, the one-liners,
0: necessarily. Best sex scene, there's nothing here. Uh, most athletic feet? He comes close to doing some kind of cool things, but I don't think... I think a lot of it's, like, just CGI-aided. Like, I know that he's, he's that probably climbing the ladder and stuff, but is there something here that you think we should nominate for best at most athletic feet? I mean, holding his breath, maybe, oh. under the water? Hiding from metal spiders underwater. It's, this is
1: cruise-wise, yeah. not
0: character-wise, right? Like, yes. More character-wise, getting
1: your eyeballs replaced is pretty hardcore.
0: Is there a best running scene? Is there something in here that you want to no- that we should nominate uh, for a specific scene, a running scene? Man, it's tough when he mm. bolts into that factory.
1: Like he's going really fast. Though. <laughs> but That's the problem sometimes when there's like too much to choose yep. from. there's like they're all pretty good. So I don't want to like hold yeah. one over the other really. Plus the whole movie, like I'm, I basically consider him on the run the whole time. So like the whole mm. movie is just run.
0: Best or worst love story? No. Best ensemble cast, possibly. I'll put it in like, there. You got the Van and you got the Colin Farrell, and you got mm-hmm. uh, the woman who plays his wife, and you got the woman who plays the precog, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I think okay. Specifically, best non-Cruise actor, male or female. Final thing, any one particular person stand out here? I don't. I think once again, like a very heavy Tom Cruise vehicle. I think the precog is good, but I think she's not given a
3: ton to do. Mm-hmm. Mm, Stormare. I might put Siedel because he's he's just great. But although. He's just playing himself. So it depends on if you like if you like that or not.
0: Yeah, I think that's just that's not he's not stretching. I don't think.
3: I don't know. We got five things, five
0: five nominations though: best film, best director filmmaker, best fight, most athletic feat, and best ensemble cast. Good showing here for Minority Report. Well, thank you both uh, for joining us tonight to talk about Minority Report. Nicole, if you, I mean, we've mentioned it a couple times tonight, but please tell our our listeners where they can find you talking about Xenon and Smart House <laughs> and. How many Disney Channel original movies are there? Are they still making them?
2: Oh yes, they are still making them. This our podcast will go on forever. Uh, I'm, I'm de- I love that for us. The podcast is called Cooler Than Homework, and I'm also on a podcast called Snark Squad Pod.
0: Very cool, and that can be found anywhere you find podcasts. Is that correct? Yes. That's safe yes. to say.
2: That is probably hopefully safe to say.
0: Wonderful. And Dan, is there anywhere that you want people to find you if you want to tell people about generous donors out there want you donate to your Movember <laughs> fundraising?
3: Really? Oh Yeah, so I'm about, let's see it's yeah, I'm 11 days into November. Well, like, this is going to
0: come out next Friday, the 22nd, so we're we're nearing the end of November.
3: Oh yeah, so it'll be near the end. Um, I do it every year. It's to, to raise money for um, prostate testicular cancer research and uh, to raise awareness for suicide prevention and uh, mental illness all those things so if you want to find me online I'm on Twitter at Dan Colon I also do a fair amount of stuff with the uh, Cage Club Twitter account as well yeah those those
0: daily morning posts those are all uh, Mr. Dan Colon
3: yeah you can reach me at my personal the, at Dan Colon um, I think that's about it Any uh, anyone interested in donating to my Movember campaign all the information's right there
0: cool well thank you both again for joining us Mike next time we have mm-hmm. the return of Mad Holly Gore hopefully oh, yeah. not Mad Holly Gore as we talk about The Last Samurai so we're going to continue oh, my through. old
3: high school friend Holly Gore
0: really you guys went to high school together yes we did hopefully she like I mean we, we keep picking Japanese inspired <laughs> movies for her to talk about and yes. sometimes things do not work out well for us um, we're well but intended, <laughs> fingers but... crossed Mad Holly Gore is regular Holly Gore happy Holly Gore but next week Mike you and I are over on Hank's of the Memories Oh boy. life is like a box of chocolates <sighs> um, how will we you feel know- about Forrest Gump I don't yeah. know mm-hmm. I am a little worried
1: This box of chocolates, uh, I know exactly
0: what I'm going to get this time. Oh, boy, (laughs) oh, oh boy, oh, boy. (laughs) But for all things Cruise Club and Hanks for the Memories and all 26 shows, including our newest show, Viva Pod Vegas, episode one out now. Mm -hmm. Episode two coming in a couple weeks. Episode three probably by the end of the year, too. Rocketing through at a pace that we did not expect. (laughs) You go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub or at Cage Club Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us run at cageclub.me. Come back next week on Hanks for the Memories. Forrest Gump. Come back in two weeks right here for Last Samurai. And go check out Poor Boy over on Love Me Tender on Viva boy. Pod Vegas.
1: Poor Boy.
0: Poor Boy. The best Elvis song so far. I'm Joey Lewandowski and I'm Mike mancy And that was Dan cologne and Nicole Sweeney. We'll see you next time right here on Cruise Club.